Hey listeners, and welcome to this edition of Casual Conversations. I'm Patch, and with me is friend of the show and resident 80s go-to conversationist, Adam Rakoff. Hey, Patrick. It's great to be back, and yeah, thanks for having me. Good to have you on, Adam. Uh, today, our conversation takes us into the fourth season of Netflix's original series, Cobra Kai, and who better to have talking about this fantastic series than the one we had on to discuss the first two episodes of season one way back in the day, as well as the original Karate Kid. And I think we probably need to cover the second and third one to just kind of rectify the fact that we need to get that trilogy knocked out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if I, I remember, younger, yeah, I, I watched them all in preparation for that original Karate Kid episode. Just I, I got into the series again, so I, I remember watching them all. But uh, yeah, we didn't really do the deep dive on the second or third one. <laughs> yeah, I think it's safe to say that we can call this the Miyagi-verse with the Karate Kid movies and Cobra Kai. If that hasn't been coined, you heard it here first, folks. We're coining it. <laughs> the Miyagi-verse is what we'll probably be referring to the Karate Kid, um, I guess, universe in this case. Even though Mr. Miyagi is not physically with us, he is there in spirit. And of course, everybody loves him, including... But he hasn't mentioned it yet, Johnny. I'm I'm just pretty sure at some point Johnny's going to respect Mr. Miyagi, and there's going to be a moment with him and a piece a, a picture of Miyagi where he's going to say something profound. I'm not sure, but we're not talking about that. We're talking about the fourth season of Cobra Kai, and this is your official spoiler warning, so beware. We will also more than likely be touching on aspects from the previous three seasons. It's kind of hard not to spoil what's come before uh, if we're going to talking be talking about what happened now. So. Be mindful of that. All the seasons are on Netflix. Uh, they're worth binging. They're worth going through a little bit at a time. Do whatever you want to. But for this conversation, make sure you've seen the fourth season. With that said, it's time to show no mercy to our love for this current season. So let's get into it. Okay, let's open up by talking about the series as a whole and, and what we've enjoyed about it and why it's really been so successful. So Adam, I jokingly say you're our go-to 80s guy but one of the things that i've enjoyed about getting to know you is that you and i kind of have a kindred spirit in terms of all things 80s we both absolutely adore back to the future if you don't know much about that check out our 300th <laughs> episode where we just go crazy over that trilogy but in general you and i are always going back and forth on twitter and through text message about just the the gr late great 80s and what they brought to us and even some of the 90s with the star yeah. trek series and whatnot so what is it about this series that has made it so popular and why it's it will probably continue to a fifth season. Well, I think it pays homage to all the original films, especially the original, the first film, of course. Uh, but it's also creating a, a new show. It's a continuation and also a reboot. And it's a new show for a whole new generation. At the same time, old people like us, not old, but older o older yeah there. yeah <laughs> we <laughs> we can watch it and we're probably relating to johnny and and daniel and i'm sure uh younger generations are loving all the high school drama of the of their children and their and their battles that they're that they're having but i think whenever people talk about you know sequels and reboots and remakes a lot of people just hate the, the idea of them they don't even if if they read on a a film rumor site that something is coming they instantly just start hating on the idea like oh you're gonna ruin that it's gonna it's gonna you can't redo that you can't you can't make a sequel to that and to me this is a perfect example of why we still have to let these 
creative people try to make these reboots and, and remakes because every once in a while, many of them don't work. I will give you that. But every once in a while, something comes through like Cobra Kai that just works. It just has it has every ingredient that the the viewer wants. And in particular, this series is such a fascinating continuation of the original franchise because those are dramatic films, really. They're not comedies. There might be a few funny lines here and there between Mr. Miyagi and and uh, and Daniel, like when he uh, catches the fly and the chopsticks. And there's, you know, there's there's levity throughout, but it's really a dramatic coming of age story. And here, Cobra Kai is largely a comedy. And yes, there's drama, there's action, there's excitement, all of the, those ingredients, but it doesn't take itself too seriously. And I think that's that balance that the the show creators found is what really works. They really found that sweet spot where you can laugh, you can feel it's okay to laugh, and in fact, you want to laugh, but you also really start rooting for these characters and in a weird way you root for both sides at different times throughout the series the characters are constantly sort of flipping allegiances and i think that's fascinating as well and they find a way to make even the evil characters if you will they find a way to make you sympathetic to them to the fact that maybe their their backgrounds who who their parents were who may have bullied them when they were younger or what might have happened to them in the Vietnam War in the case of Kreese and Terry Silver. The, these things all impact who they are in the in the show, in the present that we're viewing. And it makes us realize that there isn't any sort of one just evil character in this in this series. And I think that's a really, a really important reason why you can relate to all these characters and really just get completely um, drawn into this into this series and there's so many characters that's the other thing it's it's amazing that it works as well as it does with so many characters that they're they're following over the course of really a very short season of 10 episodes so yeah i i, I can't speak highly enough about this series i yeah. i think it appeals to such a large demographic you don't have to love karate you don't have to love karate kid <laughs> you don't even have to uh, be fans of those original films or, or have seen them to enjoy this this show. So it yeah. works on so many different levels, I think. Well, I, I agree with you on a lot of that. And one of the things that stood out to me early on is just what you said earlier with regard to not, quote, ruining my childhood. You didn't say that, but that's kind of what people think when they see the next great Ghostbusters, or I think there's a Goonies TV show in development. And those of us who grew up in a particular era the 80s seem to be the era that people hearken back to. I don't know of a lot of proms that are 90s themed or <laughs> 50s themed necessarily. The 80s seemed to be one of those decades where there was just a lot going on. I mean, we were cold warring it. We were accessing with you know hyper colors and multiple types of music. All these different movies were coming out. It was the it was the uh, prime time of Star Wars and Indiana Jones. George Lucas was just killing it and I think that what makes that decade in particular and the stories that come out of that so fascinating and so appealing is that it was so big. Like these these movies that you watch for a long time, my, my now nine-year-old, for a good year of his life, I think it was actually when we were 
covering the Karate Kid. I had to obviously watch it for the episode. He watched it with me and we went on to watch two and three and he watched that movie for just a month and a half straight. You know, it would just queue it up. Now, that's just his nature is he right. will latch onto a movie like most kids. Yep. And we'll just continue to just move through that over and over again. But I'd like to think there's a magic to that particular one, the, the Karate yeah. Kid, the good versus evil and the way in which they take that movie that is so endearing and how we fall in love with Daniel and Miyagi and Ali and even Johnny and, and Cobra Kai as characters, the creators of the show care enough about the series and about the characters that they're willing to not compromise characters for the sake of story. And that was a fear of mine early on, Adam, is I remember watching the first few episodes and going, is this just going to be a nostalgia trip? I mean, are we just going to get like, oh, yeah, you're wearing that same gi that he's wearing. That's great. Yeah. I, I don't I don't really thrive off of that. I mean, I like the intertextuality. I think that's kind of cool. But I remember yeah. close to the end of the first season and leading into the second, there was a real sense of wanting to push the overall Miyagi-verse narrative forward, not just reviving the rivalry between Daniel and Johnny, but really rounding out these other characters. And then we get to the third and fourth seasons, and now we're introducing more characters who, as you mentioned, flip back and forth at some point during the fourth season. I'm like, wait, are you Eagle Fang? Are you Cobra? I can't really, I forget (laughs) now. Because, and I think that's great because it challenges, you know, you think of, you think of Miguel and you're like, oh yeah, he's got to be, oh, he must be, he he must be uh, Miyagi. Nope. Nope, he's he's Eagle Fang. Oh wait, what about you know what about um what about Hawk? He's oh yeah, he's Cobra Cut. Nope. Nope, he's Miyagi Do. So by the time we get to the tournament at the end of the season, it's just this cornucopia of like, well, who's the bad guy? Who's the good guy? And we don't know. Because exactly. it's that yeah. it's that melded. And it's not bad storytelling. I think it's just a personification of what I think the original idea was let's take johnny's character and ask the question what if he wasn't the bad guy what if he had a past what if he had a motive and and that's a really difficult thing to do adam because you don't want to mess up these characters you don't want to say well what if johnny was gay or what if daniel had another wife in okinawa besides yuki i mean these are things that you could explore and that's what the show is banking on we're bringing in uh, Crease's past. We're showing moments from the Vietnam War where we're actually sympathetic for the guy. We know he's a war hero, or at least a war veteran, right. but we start caring about him and Terry Silver. And so when the why gets answered with a lot of these characters over the course of the series, I think that's where the appeal is for me. Is It's not just that we are getting a continuation of Johnny and Daniel, but that we are anchoring these other characters in and how they're influenced by these three ideologies, we can call them dojos or martial arts, but the fact is season four really doubles down on the fact that we have three different styles and three different ways of thinking about life that are being challenged. Mm-hmm. And in a lot of ways, you mentioned this is a comedy. I think it's more of a dramedy than anything else. I mean, yes, there are some laugh out loud moments where we talked offline. William Zapka is just awesome in this series. I think he is always there for a laugh, but then there are these tender moments when he has these just pockets of like, wow, like when he gets drunk and there's this and it's it's the it's the comedy wrapped up when the drama where he is replicating 
uh, on screen what we see in, in in Karate Kid, where Daniel is taking Miyagi home after being drunk and putting him to bed, and uh, Daniel's discovering more about who Mr. Miyagi is. Well, in this case, you have Miguel, who is being told by Johnny in that moment um, how he wants him, you know, always wanted to be a good dad for you. Right, right. And then you're like, oh, that's such a sweet moment. Gosh, I love you, Johnny. And then he said, I'm sorry, Robbie. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, ruined it. <laughs> but yeah. that sparked what we're eventually going to probably explore in season five, which is Miguel and his relationship with his dad. So so themes like that, I think, yeah. are really starting to come around and it's becoming less about nostalgia, less about reaching back and really about pushing the story forward. But I do think that the series as a whole has always been on a forward trajectory. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's spent so much time rehashing the past. For instance, I'm so glad that Allie didn't become more prominent than she did. I love the fact that she's an inspiration for Johnny yeah. and that his real love is Miguel's mom because that's what's been molding. It hasn't right. been like, oh, here comes Allie. She's divorced. Let's bring her back in. She's awesome. And the fact is the story doesn't call for that. And so I'm so glad that we didn't get that, right. that there is mindful thinking about these characters and what they're going through, which makes season five really interesting. We'll get into that in just a little bit, uh, kind of our predictions. But what right. I wanted to talk about a little bit was leading into season four. Were there things from season three that you were excited to see either resolve or push forward or things that you had questions about that either got answered or that kind of threw you, you know, into the wall and said, you're not going to get this answered at all? Uh, I mean, I think the main thing is the uh, the big cliffhanger, you know, when we see Crease battle Johnny and then Daniel and they crash through the the plate glass of the dojo and and, you know, Daniel's about to like take Crease down and which shows that Daniel is by far the strongest of the three. Um, you know, his daughter comes running up and basically knocks him out of his violent rage and and they all kind of get up and agree you know that we'll settle this at the tournament the all valley tournament and i think that's that was the cliffhanger right that was the moment that we realized that this is all going to come full circle it's all going to come down to that tournament and they make a pact at that point right at the end the last episode of season three they make an agreement between the three of them that whichever dojo wins um will get to continue uh, teaching karate in the valley, and the, the the losing dojo had essentially has to close shop and or move out. <laughs> so it, it, it's such a it almost it's almost funny because the stakes are so low. No one's saving the world here. These are karate dojos in a small part of Southern California. Yet for these characters, it's this is their life. This is everything to them. These this is teaching karate and practicing karate. This is this, especially for Daniel and Johnny and for Kreese, they this is everything to them. So for the stakes for them are so high. And because we've become so uh, close to them, we know who they are now. We, we care about them. We want to know where they're going. We feel how how big those stakes are uh, as the viewer. And, yeah, I think that's clearly that's that is resolved. Maybe not the way we hoped <laughs> at the end of the season, but the tournament does happen. And there are, of course, three dojos competing. And I think the sixth episode or seventh episode, they reveal they have a really funny opening sequence where they show the 
uh, a group of people sitting around a table sort of debating the future of the all valley tournament these are sort of the the i don't know what you would call them the like board members the board members right? yeah so they're they're having a a very humorous debate about what the future will be and they decide that there's going to be a whole new way of judging that they're going to have a, a division for both men and women and they're going to now do weapons and katas and i i'm not sure what the other ones were but there's a few other um ways that they're going to factor in who the winning yeah. dojo will a, be yeah. it's the skills competition skills, for the team yeah. and then it's the women's champion and then the men's champion and the points from all of those combined add up right add up so to you, a grand champion a gr- right so there could be a a a, a a male winner and a female winner on either end, which there ends up being in this case. Right. Uh, but the totality of the points determine who will have to close down their dojo. And clearly at the end of this season, Miyagi-Do is the loser. And also Eagle Fang dojo as well. So Cobra Kai is the winner. And so as we see at the end, Terry Silver, who is back from Karate Kid Part 3, is sort of taking over the the Cobra Kai brand and going to sort of replicate its success throughout the valley. And what is Daniel supposed to do? Is he supposed to let this happen, or is he going to have to fight to keep Miyagi Do alive? And again, we'll have to speculate further about what we think will come in season five. Yeah, I look at these storylines, and it doesn't surprise me some of the new characters that are coming in or i guess in this case the old character right what i was surprised about was just the amount of shifting around and when that episode aired regarding the dividing up of the all valley to make it what is all in all honesty more complicated where it's not simplified (laughs) yeah i was initially a little frustrated because i'm like how in the world am i going to keep up with this and there's a part of me that's like okay i've got to suspend my disbelief to think that some of these characters are good enough to learn kata or to be good with nunchucks or bow staffs i just have to let that go right because the because the fact is all we've seen is martial arts so right I'm we don't willing... really see them training in those other areas ever no and maybe and that, daniel does but yeah yeah and and that's to me that took it down a little bit i mean obviously not enough for me not to love the the <laughs> season or the yeah. series yeah. but that was definitely uh, I took a point off. That was that was an illegal move. There you go. You know, yeah. Uh, no disqualification, but a point off. Yeah. And it reminded me a lot of the movie Sidekicks with Chuck Norris. Um, and it's this. It's not a great movie, but it's one of those that I grew up watching. And we'll cue it up because I have it on Divid. <laughs> it's not even willing to be <laughs> converted to blue Blu-ray or right. Was uh, it was it uh, Jonathan Brandis? Yes. Where yeah. he's this um, asthmatic kid who daydreams yeah. all the time about being Chuck Norris's partner. But a similar outcome happens, spoiler, here we go, uh, for this movie, where there's a team of four, he and his sensei, who's also a Chinese restaurant owner, his sensei's daughter, and then Chuck Norris all compete in this four-event thing, you know, breaking bricks and kata and weapons and, I think, um, just actual fighting. And so I was reminded of that in this but not having enough time to spend with these characters learning their <laughs> other craft that wasn't skills. I'm thinking, how are you really going to rectify this in four episodes? But right. again, suspend your disbelief and enjoy it. And the fact is on the whole, 
I think that the choreography in the series is top notch. I think yeah. that if there's an area that I know they don't skimp, that's on the choreography. I have no idea if it's a an actual martial art or if it's just really great kicking and, and punching and throwing. But all of that stuff has been just hands down some of the some of the most entertaining choreography that I've seen on live action. And I think it it really culminated at the end of season two. I, I will always say at this point, now season five may just blow my mind, but season two is probably my favorite because of the fact in part it has that killer final sequence to end the season where you have that big O school fight that breaks out. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, is this, <laughs> please yeah. don't, don't send my kid to this school. I'm in a private school. Yeah, that's every, uh, school. every school's like worst nightmare. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> every principal. This was at three, you know, Eagle yeah. hasn't existed yet. But I think for me, when I look at season three and how it leads into season four, one of the biggest question marks I had was really kind of answered in a humorous way. How do you resolve the cons of Eagle Fang and Miyagi-Do because you know everybody's having those questions well who's going to embrace who who's going to absorb who and those first couple episodes were really fantastic because they put on display not Cobra Kai 2.0 but Johnny's martial arts style because the fact is Adam what we've seen over the course of the series because Johnny is no longer part of Cobra Kai whether by accident or design he has developed his own martial arts style. It's yeah. not strike first and strike hard. It's badass. I mean, that's something that has not left his his um, his mantra, but it's a controlled badassery. It's a yeah. controlled strike first, but be careful. And I think that season two fight at the end uh, of that last episode really sort of solidified what Eagle Fang, while probably more of a joke dojo at first, started solidifying. And so when we get to that moment where that whole episode is leading up to johnny and daniel that are gonna fight yeah i was like are you serious oh are we getting like karate kid like like the rematch this is gonna be great it's like rocky and 2 it's like rocky 2 <laughs> it really is nobody wanted it but they loved it when they yeah. got that kind of thing <laughs> and so I, I look at that and what i thought was really great was that it happened and it was completely consistent with the rest of the series. Yeah. Neither of them won. They both knocked each other out. And what they realized was that they both need each other. And it's great because you have Miguel, who is loyal to Johnny as both the father figure and a sensei. He moves over and starts learning from, from Daniel. And then Daniel's daughter does the exact same thing. And I love, love, love how Johnny gets that moment with her on top of the roof to get her to to jump and how he essentially says you're not going to be anything if you don't have this he doesn't negate what daniel's taught her but i think those two characters in their relationships with their opposite senseis really push the narrative of both are valid yeah just like daniel wasn't quote the good guy <laughs> as the series has kind of shown us miyagi-do isn't the best because it is lacking. And when we think about defense only, well, what do you do when somebody attacks you? Well, you defend, but then when do you, you know, like Daniel says in Karate Kid, what am I going to learn how to punch? Right. And I think one of the strengths of the series is how they take these little things in the series and they bring them in to become teaching points. So, for instance, I think it was in season two where Sam and Robbie 
are training on that on the wheel and they are wondering what in the world is this going to be used for and it harkens back to i think something from karate kid part two but then it pushes forward into that mall fight where they are using it and so what i what i love about the series one of the things i love about the series is the fact that they don't just bring stuff in for the sake of saying oh yeah i remember that it's application it's a teaching tool so we have so many moments where there is taking original ideas and turning them on their heads for instance daniel and his his son who wasn't high on by the way i think he sort of felt thrown in at first but i see what was happening here and the whole bullying thing which is obviously a through line throughout this whole series the idea of uh what it looks like i mean i i just i get so uncomfortable when when that thing plays out uh throughout the series but in particular in this fourth season where a little kid is just he turns into this monster yeah um but how daniel's son just doesn't reject his dad's teaching he just doesn't see it as important or he doesn't value it and honestly it's a commentary on the fact that sometimes we can love what happened in the past, but it's just not applicable today. And we have to be able to change. We have to be able to adjust. And so I think the season three to season four really pushed that idea that in order to be successful, in order to win, in order to get through life, you have to be able to change. And so you have these patriarchs in Daniel and Johnny that are going through that. Their students are going through that. And then eventually you start seeing a pocket of that with John Kreese. I mean, that That's was right. a surprise to me. Yeah. See, I did not expect the line at the end to come from Terry Silver's mouth when he asked the question or when he said, everybody's got uh, a fear. Everybody's got a weakness, I think is what it yeah. was. Yeah. And I was like, oh, Johnny's, oh, his weakness must be the war. His weakness must be losing control. And when Terry Silver said, your weakness is Johnny. Wow. I mean, that was like, he's right. He's absolutely right. And, um, and I just, again, I I can't stress enough how great it is to just deepen these characters who feel like good guys and bad guys beyond just Daniel and Johnny. Yeah. I actually felt for John Kreese just in the same way that I felt for, for Johnny at the end of season one uh, and two, when he loses his dojo, John Kreese has become human (laughs) and not because he's been arrested, but because I see where his vulnerability is and i almost hope for his redemption we also see what he went through in the vietnam war what he was forced to do like battling his commanding officer to the death i mean this is gonna mess up anybody right so we can't we can sort of forgive him to a certain extent for why he is so uh, angry why he is he believes that you have to strike first strike hard all of that It, it all comes from the experiences that he had uh, growing up and it sort of molded him into the person he's become. And again, none of these people think they always say like villains don't think they're evil, right? They think they're doing the right thing for the most part. And I think that's really the case here as well. And even Terry Silver up until sort of the very end, you kind of felt for him too. You kind of felt like, okay, this guy, you know, he's made, he's turned his life around and, he has a beautiful house on the beach and he's eating tofu (laughs) you know he's living and literally lets his hair down yeah exactly (laughs) um and at one point there's even a really funny part where he's talking with with crease and they sort of 
rehash the plot from uh, Karate Kid 3. And he says, uh, I was Terry Silver says, I was so hopped up on cocaine and revenge. I spent months terrorizing a teenager over a high school karate tournament. It sounds insane just talking about it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I think that's great because they're they're acknowledging how ridiculous the plot of the third film was, but also not removing it from the canon. They're they're saying, right. yeah, it was silly. It was absurd, but it happened. And we're going to just go with it. We're going to have fun yeah. with it and continue that character's story uh, yeah. further. So, uh, yeah, I found uh, I found his his return to be actually very very rewarding i think Mm -hmm. um thomas ian griffith who whose first film actually was karate kid part three if you watch that movie you'll see it says and introducing thomas ian griffith uh and so that was his very first big screen role and for a little while he was supposed to be like the next martial arts action star of the late 80s early 90s and there was a film i think called excessive force which was supposed to be his big breakthrough leading role I uh, had Lance Henriksen and James Earl Jones. Like it was a pretty decent budgeted, you know, action movie. This is a, again a time when Jean Claude Van Damme and Steven Seagal and Chuck Norris, all these people, they were they were the the kings of of the box office. These were m- movies they could make on a low budget, and they made a lot of money. Unfortunately, this film, Excessive Force, did not do very well. So, uh, <laughs> despite Thomas, James Earl Jones being yeah, there, come on, Thomas Ian Griffith was sort of relegated to the, um, you know, made-for-video action movies from that point forward. And yeah. you know, he made a fair number of those types of films in the '90s. But to see him return after you know 30 years is was was incredible, and he's actually in really good shape for a man of his age. <laughs> well, let me and, just say that all these characters are in really yeah. good shape. I mean, when I you know, when Johnny's training before the fight with Daniel, I'm like, this dude's not he's not out of shape by any means. No. He trains really funny, but yeah. he's not out of shape oh, at all. <laughs> and that episode five, I'll just say. Th- the the two final episodes are one long you know hour long episode really for the mm-hmm. for the for the tournament for the all valley which was great and that was amazing to have them essentially stretch out the drama of the tournament over two episodes but i have to say that episode 5 uh titled match point was probably my personal favorite it just had several things in it that that stood out for me. A, that training sequence that you just men- mentioned when he's training to fight Daniel in their rematch, I thought was just the funniest thing. He's listening on his Sony Walkman to Hearts on Fire. Hearts <laughs> on, on Fire, yeah. Yeah. Um, which I just, I played that song over and over again as a kid myself. Just like it was, if I needed to like get pumped or something, that was my song. So <laughs> it was just great to see him running, you know, running in the street. Uh, it was they had some great flashbacks to uh, to uh, the earlier f- to the films, as well as a, a really interesting deleted scene that was never in the first film where they're Johnny and Daniel are basically fighting in the school lunch area. And that's not in the original film. So clearly they went through the old negative and looked for some footage that they could, uh, in, you know, insert here fresh for the first time. And that, and that was really fun. Uh, but the, the way they in, inserted it was interesting because they only showed Daniel like p- smushing some his plate onto Johnny as if Johnny was the victim there. Like it's so interesting how the whole series plays around with who was really the victim and who was the bully. Johnny clearly has always considered Daniel this outsider coming in, 
trying to steal his girlfriend and to be the bully, you know, to be the one that was trying to, to ruin his life. And obviously, we as the viewer always felt that Daniel was the sort of underdog you know, moving cross country from New Jersey. And he's the one that that has, is instantly targeted by Johnny and his gang of Cobra Kai's to to be bullied. So Johnny, though, from his point of view, Daniel has always been the kid that sort of changed everything for his life. If you think about it, he he lost his girlfriend and then Daniel you know, uh, started dating her. Then he loses to him at the All Valley Tournament, and his whole life basically spirals out of control from that point forward. So it's very interesting, and and for them to get that rematch, like you said, in this episode, in in episode five, match point, was just very rewarding, and it was perfectly choreographed. They really do seem like they're they're an equal match despite their differing styles of karate they really don't absolutely yeah whereas in the original film you kind of felt like mm, johnny really should be able to just take daniel out daniel you know a few weeks of painting fences shouldn't be enough for daniel <laughs> after johnny was the the two-time champion at the all-state the, the years prior to right. uh the one the time that they fought so here though you can you get a sense that both of them have been practicing their styles that they were trained, but then, as you said, sort of evolving them, growing with them over the over the past 30 years and yeah. have essentially formed their own. And they even have a great moment where they cut back to a scene from Karate Kid Part 3 where Mr. Miyagi talks about planting a bonsai tree, planting the roots, and eventually mm-hmm. it will grow in its own direction just as you will grow in your own direction and you'll form your own style of karate the way that you feel it should be and that you can take what you've learned right but eventually you have to adapt it to your life and and to your personality and who you are you can't just mimic the person that taught it to you forever that was probably my standout line from the entire series because i think it validated the path that the series has gone down and up until now up until then you would think well, you got to pick a side. Yeah. I'm either Eagle Fang or Cobra Kai or Miyagi-Do. They all have something to offer that's valid. And so when we get to that moment that harkens back to Karate Kid 3, no less, the kind of <laughs> redheaded stepchild of, yeah. of the series, which I enjoyed. I think you you mentioned this. I don't know if you mentioned this on our episode when we were talking about the Karate Kid, but the second and third movies were eventually, they were sort of not really a toss-up, but there were two stories that were produced and the movie could have easily gone the karate kid three route as the sequel because both stories both two and three start at that parking lot sequence and so one follows daniel and miyagi and his father and going to okinawa and then the other one follows crease and when i when i read that or when you said that it really made me appreciate even though it's not as good even though it does feel a little bit like cash grab i love the fact that the creators and the showrunners respected enough to pull those things not for nostalgia but for purpose right and that line in particular tied everything together because then we get to the last two episodes of the all valley and now you have hawk and now you have sam who are embracing everything that they've learned and they've said you have to make your own fight the way you know how don't fight Miyagi Do, don't fight Eagle Fang, don't fight Cobra Kai. And there's this great line with Hawk, and he's getting kind of beat down a little bit. And he tells Daniel, he knows all my moves. He studied 
he studied Miyagi-Do. Right. And and then <laughs> Daniel says, you studied Cobra Kai longer, so use that against him. And and I, I love the fact that, that Hawk wins. I think that's a great yeah. kind of, not left field, but a great surprise <laughs> because yeah. – by the end of the season, you're kind of wondering, by the time we got up to the All Valley, we're like, okay, who's going to win? We have two girls, so it's going to come down to either Sam yeah. or Tori, which, oh, man, Tori's storyline, I think, has become one of my favorites of the season. I love the involvement of her and Sam's mom, their relationship, just being able to – I love that Sam's mom fights for her, and she sees that – value and it's hard to watch Adam because yeah. Tori is just so broken and she's so jaded and she doesn't want to let anybody in and who of all people is going to be her mentor but the mother of the girl that she is enemies with yes yeah so coming to that final moment where I I was glad for the outcome I mean sure I wanted Sam to win but I also wanted Tori to win and that speaks to really great writing because yeah you give context to these characters. And even though she won, there there's an argument to be made that because, and we learned that the ref was paid off by Terry Silver to essentially overlook some cheating, perhaps. And at one point, Tori does elbow Sam in the eye. And that clearly should have been some type of point reduction on her, on her part. But it wasn't, right? It just was kind of swept away and they continued and that not only was that a missed point for sam but it was also uh she's now injured and has trouble seeing through that eye so that's going to make her fight she's not going to be as successful going forward as a result of that injury so i i one could argue that sam would have won if not for that elbow to the eye and um so again it comes down to the the fact that they have made all these characters feel very evenly matched except for say, you know, one thing that happens. And I think that's why, what I really appreciate is that they don't make it feel like they really make it feel like any one of these characters could or should win that. And you can almost root and be almost be happy for either one of them winning for their own storyline. Right. So even though Tori wins, we're ha- we're kind of happy that she that she won for her own story, but we're not happy, obviously, that Cobra Kai that she's under the Cobra Kai banner, and that they right. in turn win the ulti- you know the the tournament as a whole. But um, yeah, I think you know going back to what you said about Karate Kid Part Three, they were able to sort of cherry pick all the really good moments and characters from that film, while still acknowledging what didn't work about it. And there's even a great part where johnny and daniel are, are at the bar in the beginning of that episode five match point and uh J- daniel's basically telling johnny the story of karate kid part three because johnny d- wasn't in that movie right so he didn't right. he wasn't witness to those events that we saw as, as the audience and johnny goes so let me get this straight the year after our title fight they put your they, they, they put you straight through to the finals and <laughs> missed the whole point <laughs> yeah but that that was almost one of the things that annoyed me about that third film all along is how the ending there's like seven minutes left in the movie for the for the final fight you know for the whole yeah. tournament sequence it's like they cut right to the, you don't get to see any of the the other fights like you do in the first film it's just mm-hmm. like oh cut to the final Dan, daniel doesn't have to to do any other fighting he just gets to walk on and fight the, the lead Cobra Kai guy. And it, it always felt 
anticlimactic, didn't it? I mean, that sure. end yeah. fight never quite lived up to the first film's tournament. And I, I, I felt that they did a good job of sort of acknowledging the the issues with that third film, but sure. while still finding some of those great moments and building upon them. Yeah, and, and there were parts in the last two episodes that kind of, again, I say these nitpicky things. If there's yeah. one thing that kind of stood out to me, I did not like the MC at all. I thought he was way too over the top he for was, my taste. Well, yeah. And I'm like, I like karate as much as the next guy, but come on, it's the All-Valley Tournament. I mean, come on, let's not get too excited. But the yeah. other thing that I, I joked about was sort of similar to what you said. You had him announcing the three dojos. And then right. after they all lined up and I was like, I looked at my wife and said, and these other six that are here too. Right. And there's you know, no other like, dojos. Yeah. It's like, wait, hold on. There are these other dojos that they have to fight to get to each other. So, I mean, and in the first again, film, yeah. In the first film, it felt like a bigger tournament because it felt like there were all these other competitors, right. From sure. all these different dojos all over the Valley. And some of them were really good too. I'm sure they were real, you know, real martial artists that were competing. And, of course, you know, we're focusing on on Daniel and, and Cobra Kai, but it did feel like Daniel had to face off against many other competitors from other other dojos in that first film where here they they just zeroed in on the, these three dojos. And it's like yeah. nothing else mattered. <laughs> yeah. As a statistical uh, observation, I will say that uh, Cobra Kai can officially say that they're back to back champions because they won yeah. last year as well. That's so. True. They have a title to defend, and I don't know who they're going to defend it against. Apparently, these other phantom dojos that that exist. Does that? Yeah, I think one of my joking questions I have for my wife was, "Wait, does that mean that all the other dojos have to go away too, or were they not part of that deal?" So, because you got... right, if you're Cobra Kai, whether you're Terry Silver or whether you're John Kreese, and you're this is your this is your dojo, and your ultimate goal is to make the opposing dojo shut down. Well, then next year at the tournament, who are you fighting? Who are your who's right. your, uh, your rival? <laughs> Don't you isn't your goal to keep having them bring forward their next best candidate to to beat yours and that you your goal is to keep bringing them down every year. And right. therefore, that's and that that makes you successful as a dojo. If you just make yeah. your dojo shut down, it's kind of like, no, that's too easy. <laughs> Yeah, and that that really kind of leads to my to my last question here is what we expect or what we want to see yeah. from season five. For me, there's a lot here. One of the small issues I had with season four is it felt like it ended like season two. So you had bad guy one being usurped by bad guy two. Bad guy two takes over the dojo and brings in potentially somebody else to be his partner. And look, if if the rhythm is there then we're probably going to get Mike Barnes next season, which I, 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 gonna, I, wouldn't mind seeing. Yeah. I would not mind seeing it. There's hints to that, too. I, it, it, there's a few uh, few lines where they kind of talk about a few other. There might be a few other Cobra Kai's out there. I can I can. Right. You know, I can pull upon a uh, pull mm -hmm. in, you know, something like that. So I feel yeah. like the, the Sean Kanan, I think, is the actor's name. Okay. I, I, I noticed that he actually popped up on Cameo. I don't know if you're familiar with the Cameo service where you can like mm -hmm. pay go to cameo.com and it's essentially lots of actors and musicians and reality people. You can pay money to have them like wish you happy birthday or wish somebody happy birthday. <laughs> so he popped up on there recently. And I, I thought to myself, that's interesting. And, you know, he talks, you know, you, you, you look at what they're best known for and karate kid part three is what he's uh -huh. best known for. And from what I've heard, they finished filming season five already at the end of last oh. year. So, okay. The question is, were they did they keep that such you know under wraps to the extent that no one knows that he's in it, but 
he's already getting on the bandwagon trying to make some money on cameo thinking hmm, <laughs> if i get on there now i can i can rev up to the release of season five when i'll be uh you know on a, the top show on netflix yeah so it, i i, I yeah. would not mind seeing him show up i think he, he is as much of a pivotal character as terry silver is in terms of right that kind of thing now I think it would be great to have him as a foil to Johnny. Johnny being like, this guy's more of a badass than I am, or he's yeah, more yeah. douchebag than I am. I, I could just see so many great lines where he is playing off of this dude. Like, yeah, you were the bad boy in the Valley, but no, I'm the bad boy. And I was like, you were never the bad boy. I was you know, just this <laughs> right. back and forth thing. I could see that happening. Honestly, Adam, I think we're about to kind of go off grid a little bit because we've got Miguel leaving Reseda. Mm-hmm to go look for his dad who doesn't know he exists. Right. And we've got Johnny going after him. And I'm a little skeptical of that because I feel like the end of season four leading into season five and what we're looking at, I'm not going to say it's jumping the shark, but when you make an ultimatum, like the loser has to shut down their dojo, where do you go from there? Now, obviously these guys have a way to go since they've finished filming season five. So in in the Miyagi verse, I trust. Yeah. <laughs> but I am a little bit less enthused about season five just because there has been some good resolution. We got Robbie and his dad, I think, are starting to kind of yeah. find their way back to each other. I'm curious the relationship with Daniel and his son. I think that's sort of gotten resolved a little bit. Don't know what's going to happen with him. There's a lot of ways to go. Yeah. And, and Crease being, in, you know, uh, I mean, whether he's in prison or whether he is on trial in the next season, I mean, we'll have to wait and see. But clearly right. he's going to have to find a way to uh, to to get revenge against Terry Silver. There's a lot. Yeah, there's a lot. There still are enough loose ends. And of course, the very final scene, we see Daniel standing over Mr. Miyagi's grave. You think mm-hmm. he's talking to Mr. Miyagi at first, but then we learn that he's talking <laughs> to Chosen from Karate Kid Part Two, who's come to right. come to America and essentially has decided to team up with Daniel to take down, as they say, uh, Cobra Kai for the um, for for good or something like that. Yeah, you know, and that. so I, so that kind of makes me wonder to what end? I mean, what, what do they do? Mean? Yeah, what does that yeah, mean? What does exactly? that mean? Does that does that mean that they is it now like a suspense TV series? Right, are they right. Still in high school? I mean, are there still is there still like teen drama going on? I don't know, and I think that's where my my apprehension comes from is because the previous three seasons, I think there was enough left in the nostalgia taint to kind of get, Oh yeah, yeah we haven't seen Allie yet. Or there's a hint there. We haven't seen Terry silver yet. There's a hint of that. Right. And it's not that I want more of that. I, I'm not like itching for Mike Barnes to show up and, and be bad with people necessarily. But I feel like the show as a whole has taken a more serious tone. And I wonder if, there's no more karate in the valley for these two dojos. How do you incorporate that? How do you quote get back at Terry Silver? Right. And you know, I kind of want I kind of want season five to be the last season. I really don't want them to drag this out. And it's one of those series that you're like, look, don't stay too long at the party because yeah, then you just yeah. kind of wear out your welcome. I I kind of felt a little bit of that. Like, uh, yeah, please maybe let this be the last one. Um, yeah. But you know, I don't. They're getting my money. That's the thing. It's so 
successful for Netflix. And it's actually it, it's shocking to think that this premiered originally on YouTube Red, that which was yeah. it's now defunct. And they they got me to subscribe and I actually forgot to unsubscribe for like a year after it went off the air. And I was like, what am I doing paying YouTube Red all this? You know, anyway, I eventually it, it got canceled anyway. And obviously Netflix picked up the show and uh, and it's like the number one show on Netflix, I think, right now or the number one anything on netflix right now and so that you know money talks right so if this show is that successful for netflix and the show creators feel like they have more story to tell and more characters to to introduce for example could we one day see hillary swank pop up from the next i knew you were gonna kid? say that i knew you it's, were gonna say that it's a possibility i mean she is she is technically part of the official canon of the miyagi verse because True. miyagi trained uh, I think her name was Julie, Julie, Julie Pence. And yeah, I mean, she uh, aside from Mr. Miyagi, there's no other connection to the first three films. But and so I'm not quite sure how they would introduce her. If they did, I think it would have to be in the same way you described uh, Ali's introduction, where she kind of just pops in for an episode or two and maybe offers some wisdom or some, you know, encouragement to one of the characters. I don't know if she could, because that movie is not good <laughs> and it's never, it's never been considered good by anybody. It, it effectively killed the franchise when it came out until I think 2010, when um, Will, Will Smith remade the movie, uh, a, a true remake where I don't, I don't think it's connected in any way to the first four films. Um, it had Jackie Chan and his son, Jaden Smith and, and, and frankly, it's not a bad film. It's just it wasn't necessary. That's a great example of a of a remake that didn't add anything new, didn't didn't take the story in a new direction or anything. So I, although I realized watching it this 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 time, this uh, this season, that Will Smith is in the credits of Cobra Kai as an executive producer. Yes. So since the beginning, I think since C, yeah. uh, maybe since season one, but I know since season two for sure, because I saw his name on there. So who knows if he's executive producer, <laughs> he might be like, I want my son Jaden in this show. <laughs> he, he would have to probably play a different character, but I could yeah. totally see him popping in or having a cameo if, if his dad wanted it enough. But right. uh, yeah, I mean, there's not a lot of characters left, though, other than Mike Barnes and and uh, and Julie from Next Karate Kid. Uh, I mean, there's some supporting actors in that film that I guess could show up. But Michael Ironside was in that movie. I don't know how oh, old he is right. these he days, was, but yeah. uh, <laughs> I call Iron but, Man at this point if he's the same. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's it's it'll be interesting because they clearly have been very successful each season with incorporating uh, and bringing back those familiar faces. Uh, even this season had a nice little um, cameo from Daniel's mom, which was really nice oh, during yeah. that one dinner scene, and yeah. uh, and she was not in the second film, but after revisiting the third film before watching this season, I, I forgot she has a, a scene in Karate Kid Part 3 on the phone where she talks to Daniel right. over the phone. And that was... Her dad's kind of, coughing is like a... Yeah, or his, her, her uncle. uncle um, his, right. his uncle, her brother. Her brother I, yeah. Right. So it, it's like, you know, it's a, it's a scene played for laughs, but it, and it's really just to figure out a way to get Daniel... Um, you know, to explain why Daniel, this teenager, is 
has no mother anymore, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> the, why his mother, basically why he needs to live and stay with Mr. Miyagi. You know, they're right. trying to further that along that yeah. he's sort of his new surrogate father. And yeah. actually, as you brought up, almost every character in this series has some type of issue with their parents or, or lack of, and having some other character, as you mentioned with Tori and, and Daniel's wife, you know, she, Daniel's wife sort of becomes a motherly figure to Tori as well as her own daughter, Sam. So there's, that's a reoccurring theme that I think is really important throughout all of these with, you know, all the movies and this, this series and within all of the characters. I mean, Johnny is kind of, uh, a son figure to crease even that we're that's kind of what we're, we're finding out now he's kind of an abusive dad if he was one because he's like right. choking his son out in the second film but he clearly wanted what what he felt was best for johnny and for johnny mm -hmm. to succeed and for him to be a winner and there are plenty of dads like that in real life so it's not that far off and crease clearly didn't have any children that were that we know of so yeah. it's an it's an interesting reoccurring theme that I, I think works well for the series. Well, and the creators, I think, know that. So they are really leaning heavily into that to start the yeah. fifth season with Miguel and and Johnny taking a little trek independently, one to find his dad and one to try right. to be a dad. So exactly. Uh, and they mentioned I, I, something like his his real father was a dangerous man or something. So that's like, mm. oh, what is he going to be like a drug dealer? Are they going to get into some? you know uh, some fights where he's like fighting mexican drug lords or something like i just like you said it it, it gets a little cringeworthy to think about where it could go hopefully mm -hmm. you know we can trust the show creators enough and the cast that they know their characters well enough now that they won't yeah. go too far down mm -hmm. a weird kind of uh dramatic direction that doesn't really feel like it's consistent yeah I'm a homebody, so I'm hoping they don't <laughs> venture too far from California. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. If you're going to stay in Mexico, stay there for an episode and then come on back, Miguel. It's yeah. okay. Maybe you know, come back. Yeah. Come back. Come back to Reseda. We need yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this uh, edition of Casual Conversations. Adam, it's been so good talking with you about this fourth season. If you've been listening to this and you've listened to all of our spoilerific conversation, then obviously you've either seen the show or you just don't care. And hopefully it's not the latter. <laughs> right. And um, if it is the latter, then please do yourself a favor and watch these from the beginning. Uh, watch the three movies while you're at it. I mean, everything yeah. is just good to go and uh, it'll be exciting. Then come back and then join us and tell us why we're right or wrong about the way we think. So thanks for joining us and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much.